Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. Now, do I say that every single episode? Yeah, I do. But this time, I mean it. Today, we have Felicity Ward, artist manager, and uh, quite frankly, becoming a buddy of mine. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Why, thank you for joining. Where are you talking to us from? In my house in like California, so just outside of L.A., I live in Riverside. Yeah. Is it still pretty warm in Riverside? No. Uh, so because it's the high desert, like it's 40 degrees, 30 degrees sometimes. <laughs> like the other day, I went to go walk our dog. It was like 38 degrees outside. During the day? So uh, yeah, like early in the morning. Yeah, like six, seven o'clock in the morning or at nighttime. It's really windy right now. Uh, it's like super hot in the summer and then like really cold in the winter. So like I feel like when I talk to people who are on the East Coast, they have artists on the East Coast, they're just like, it's so cold. I'm like, I can actually, I understand because I'm in the high desert. So <laughs> I get it. <laughs> totally. I lived in La Quinta area and could like the Coachella Valley for like a year as a kid. And it's the same thing there. It's like 115 degrees during the fucking day. And then it drops down at night. Like you have to have a coat on even in the, sometimes even in the summer at night out there. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So I was actually... I was listening to one of your episodes and you mentioned that and I was just like, oh, so he knows. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Are you a California native? Did you grow up out there? I am. Yeah, I did grow up here. I'm like a unicorn, I guess. I didn't realize how many people in LA, like I guess growing up, I didn't realize how many people aren't from LA or like right. from this area. I grew up in San Dimas, which is like a suburb of LA. Um, so it's like tiny little town. Bill and Ted's. Yeah, exactly. I went to San Dimas High School, so... That resonates. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a unicorn from here. That's amazing. So how long have you been working in music in any official capacity? I mean, by the way, I, I consider that th there is variations to this. Just because you're not like earning a full-time living working in music or you're not even really making $1 yet. I still think you're a part of it. If you're if you're contributing, you're like putting up posters for shows or maybe you're, you're booking your friend's band. I still include you part of the club. So when did that start for you? 2016. I don't come from the music industry. I come from marketing background. I worked with in like in the travel industry right. as a marketer. So one of my friends came to me and was like, hey, I need help with this. So I started help like market his band. Halfway through the year, I was like, oh, I'm actually managing you. I don't really know what this means or how to do this, but I kind of like doing this. Um, and then I had more people kind of come to me and everyone was kind of like, you should get paid to do this. I was like, I should get paid to do Hell this. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where, that's how long I've been. Yeah. That's awesome. And <laughs> you're with Roar now. And how long have you been with them? I've been with Roar since April. So before that, I had my own independent agency called IL8. Um, and I built my roster up from there for over the years. And then Jay Froberg, who's the head of Roar, he approached me in April and was like, do you want a job and want to bring your roster over? And I really like the company. I like the culture. And I was like, yeah, let's let's do this. So I mean, there's a lot of lessons there, Felicity. I mean, that's similar to my story. That's similar to most people I know, especially in music. It's like, you know, the advice to young people generally and we'll get to more like tactical insight and advice that i want to hear from you for young people but as a as a generality a good piece of advice is to just just go just do just start and don't have really you don't have to have an intention you don't need to to have specific goals and if those specific goals aren't met yet then you're a failure 
Um, I think just starting and doing and doing from a place of sincerity is probably the best because then people, you know, people will gravitate towards you and they'll want to work with you, which is what happened to you. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think for me, I mean, when I, a lot of colleagues that I have now have been in the industry for years, like year longer than I have. And I think there's, there's definitely been times where I'm like, do I actually belong in this group of people that I'm, you know, these, my peers, you know, do I belong here? Um, Cause I haven't been there for as long. Right. And I feel like, I don't know if there was ever like a point where there was like gatekeepers or anything like that. But at this point, I feel like all the information I needed to learn was out there and available for me. Everything that like I needed to know how to do, I was like, this is, you know, you could figure it out. <laughs> you could just start doing it. And you have to, there's so many times where you just like people are afraid to take steps or move because they're afraid that it's going to be a mistake. But it's like you you're going to make mistakes. Oh, yeah. Like I used to work, I used to work at Disney in entertainment, and we used to like I used to be a parade lead, and then we would, every day something would go wrong, and I would tell people people would freak out, like yeah, but today tomorrow we're going to do another parade, and something's going to go wrong. <laughs> like yeah. it's just going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen the next day. It's going to happen the day after that. You just have to keep going. And if it's a mistake, it's a mistake. And you just move on from there. But just doing it and learning from those mistakes is how you get better and better and better. 100%. Before we move on, I have to address the Disney elephant (laughs) in the room. I am the definition of a Disney adult. I am the worst. I'm such a fucking dork. All of these okay. all of these posters are Disneyland, like the individual land posters. We do a Disney podcast, my wife and my my sister. That's a Mickey watch on the wall there. I mean just a to- nice. total psychos. And I wanna be I wanna be specific for all you fucking haters out there. I'm not a Disney person. I'm a Disneyland person. I adore Disneyland. Yeah. The design, the history of it, the history of the park, what Walt Disney accomplished. That as, as like an entrepreneur, I, I look up to that. Like, don't get me wrong, I like some of the Disney movies. The 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 aesthetic and the story of the business is really inspiring. But by and large, we're Disney Park fans, and I want to make that fucking clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am a, a Disney Park fan for for sure. Hell yeah! I just I really did enjoy my time there. I was there for a while. Yeah, and and working in entertainment was like a totally different story and not as like a character, but like working, like basically as an assistant stage manager Mm. for shows was just incredible because you get to watch everything kind of come to life. You know, I think it was just, it was great. How how long did you do that? Like 10 years. No way. Oh, you like, you were like a cast member for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I was there like all through, like I was there like right out of high school. Like, (laughs) wow. So, I mean, you, your formal year. So like into your twenties, well into your twenties. Yeah. That's amazing. What a gift because man, like you said, you know, being like a, uh, working in the parade department or, you know, any of those events that happen at Disneyland, you might as well be working a stage at a rock show. It's the same thing. It's, the same energy, the same amount of, you know, technicalities and same th- amount of things can go wrong. Not to mention yeah. you're dealing with people's happiest place on earth and their fucking special <laughs> day and their vacation. So I, I can imagine that that taught you probably a lot in a short amount of time. It did. It also working with the performers as well, working with Agvas, like the, you know, the, the, the singers, uh, anybody that you see with a microphone, they're like called an Agva and, mm. and they're like, you know, they're unionized and everything. And they're just like a d- different caliber of performer. <laughs> right. Um, totally. So, so getting to 
to work with them every single day really did prepare me, I think, to work with artists on a daily basis. Um, you know, and just just being able to have that like those tough conversations, those like not so fun conversations <laughs> that have to happen. Um, it definitely prepared me. I have a question. What's your favorite ride if you're a Disneyland park person? So Disneyland proper which is like, that's, that's my heart and soul, baby. I love that park so much. I'm a classic guy. Like I love all the old original rides, you know, Pirates, Haunted Mansion, shit like that. I, I just adore. But you know, then like at DCA, I really love all the fast rides. I love uh, Guardians and, and Credit Coaster. Great. Yeah. Cool. 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 How about you? I like Haunted Mansion, Space Mountain, Star Tours. Yeah. Space I'm is a good. big Star Wars fan, so. Oh, see, okay. Well, I am. I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm not like a, a big fan. You're, you might be a bigger fan than me. I do have a lightsaber over here that I got from Galaxy's Edge, <laughs> so I am a, a dork in that way. But no, I think Star Tours makes me nauseous. Like I can't do it because you're staring at the screen. I'm also older than you. Just give it time. <laughs> the the motion sickness just gets worse as you get older. <laughs> So I, I can't do that one. Oh, have you? So I assume you've been to Disneyland since like Rise of the Resistance opened, right? I actually have not. Oh, no way. And we're going in January and I am so, I'm so excited. My husband does a Star Wars podcast. Oh, no like, way. He's like, yeah, so we have like a big, we're a big like Star Wars house. Give it a shout out. It's called the Jedi Council. Okay, great. The The person that edits and mixes the show, her name is Deanna. Deanna is a massive Star Wars fan. She'll probably check it out. They go into everything. They go into all the shows. They talk about everything. You know, so definitely if you haven't seen the shows, don't listen to the podcast because it's gotcha. definitely a spoiler thing. But uh, if you want to like go in depth with some Star Wars heads, that would be the podcast. <laughs> Yo, that sounds amazing. Hey, give me one second. I'm going to get something for you, okay? Stay there. All right. So he has grabbed a bag from the back and seems to be pulling. Oh, it is. It is a lightsaber. Okay. You ready for the noise? Ready. Oh, no. The battery's dead. Oh. That is the yeah. most. Oh, well. Oh, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Dude, that is a that, right? fucking awful. No, my editor hates me. She'll keep it in because she likes to make fun of me. <laughs> And she also, so she was with me, ironically, when we got these lightsabers. My wife and I took her, like our little child that we we actually don't have, <laughs> our grown-ass 20-something-year-old child, and we went to Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland, did the whole, like, I what they call it, but you, it's like a whole experience. You stand around, yeah. and this, like, dorky Jedi guy talks to you, and then everyone, you make your own lightsaber, you, like, pick out what parts you want, and then you turn it on together. Yeah. And anyway, so we had to ship them home, because we didn't want to walk around the parks with them. Yeah. Because they're, they're fucking six feet tall. Yeah. I mean, who would want to do that? And they're going to break. Right. They're, like, 200 bucks. <laughs> so anyway, she shipped it home, and it shut up to her house dead. So. Oh, no. No, I guess it's my turn. The batteries apparently have died. God damn. <laughs> Damn it. That would have been the coolest thing ever on the show. <laughs> oh, man. Man, apparently I need to replace the batteries. Oh, well. You know, it should happen, Felicity. You just got to roll with the punches, man. Right? Just got to keep going, you know? Well, speaking of rolling with the punches, let's move back into our, our shared interest of music. Yeah. You know, I it's funny because I, I like you, I started stateside in a coffee shop with a laptop and the internet, you know, and that's, that's really all I needed to get going. And there was so much information out there. There's so many people I could reach out to, but you have to do the work. 
You have to put yourself out there. It's not going to happen for you. Someone's not going to knock on your door and just, here's a career. You got to go get it. But because of the internet, I think it, it certainly filtered out some of the gatekeepers. That's a common topic on this podcast. We talk about that a lot. Is music better 20 years ago or 60 years ago versus now? I don't know. I'll let people decide for themselves. But even though on many ways it's a lot easier for us to do this, what were some of the challenges going into it for you uh, being a woman in, in especially rock is a little bit uh, rare, even today somehow? Uh, I, luckily, I'm seeing more and more of it. Um, it. Was that a challenge and anything else that you can think of? Still a challenge. Um, I bet. Like being, and, and like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add another level to that, like being black and being a woman and being in rock, yeah. representing black rock artists uh, and female rock artists is like, it's like sometimes you walk into a room and like people just go, whoa. Yeah, like, <laughs> I didn't expect that. Like they have, they have no idea what to say to you, what to do to you. Um, they, uh, or do with you. Um, they like, I think the biggest challenge honestly was navigating like, and, and I'm going to be really careful in how I say this, but like navigating those clicks, yeah. like there are clicks in our, like our, you know, there's that thing of like, you don't want to make like, you don't want to like burn too many bridges or anything, you know, um, because everybody knows each other, right. Mm. Especially in the rock world. And like, with artists that are on the rise, producers on the rise, right? Like everyone knows each other. And at some point your paths are going to cross. So the challenge honestly is navigating those times when like, when I, I can set, I should be pushing back. And like when I shouldn't be pushing back and also times, and I have this conversation with my boss uh, just like a couple of weeks ago, I could say the same thing as a, as a, as like a man. And I'm perceived as like a bitch. Right. Right. <laughs> Whereas like, the other guy, the guy will just be like, oh, yeah, no problem. Like, let's go have drinks. And it's been that way. My boss is older. He was worked at MGM in like the 90s. You know, he was like, he's like, I had a boss with the same type of situation, right. you know? So it's like, I really, I, I love being at Roar because I have like this, like, he's got my back and I know that, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's, it's great. But I think navigating, Navigating that subject has been has been kind of hard because like in, internally, I just think and I'm kind of like rambling here, but internally, I think um, that that that's the biggest challenge is like, how do I make sure that like, I don't know, I don't come off that way. Right. <laughs> and I don't like soil these relationships. And the other the other biggest challenge was like just getting people to answer my emails. That was like the biggest thing or take me seriously in any sort of way. Um and I don't think that that's necessarily just female or whatever. I think that's every young manager up and coming or in any situation. It's just people getting to take you seriously. And I think it was when Mags hit, you know, I think it was probably like the second year I was with Mags that people actually started being like, like people were starting to headhunt him. Mm -hmm. Other management companies were trying to come in and people were trying to swoop out. And he was like, nope, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you. And I'm very thankful for that because he trusted me enough to be like, not nah, get those guys out of the way. I'm gonna just stick around with you. Um, that people actually started to take me seriously. If that makes any sense. Um, That's interesting. But uh, and like actually answer my emails. But I think it's still. I, I think it's still a daily. I think it's still a daily issue. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I mean, I could say I get it, but I clearly don't. I, I'm a white. I'm a white <laughs> dude, and you know, I have every advantage going into this thing to say the least and i'm aware of that and i'm aware of it you know i'm 
I I consider myself fortunate that I grew up with three sisters and no brothers. Uh, my dad is similar to me. I, I don't want to make him sound like he's not a masculine guy, but he's he's just not like alpha male douchebag guy. He's just like a sweet guy. And so I grew up in, in an energy that fostered um, it was okay to be feminine. It was okay to express that side of you. It was, it was okay to be emotional. It was okay to be sensitive. I'm I'm maybe the most sensitive person you'll ever meet. <laughs> like I'm hypersensitive. It that's like a problem for me. I have to I have to like <laughs> hone that in. I'm also a cancer. I'm like the the canceriest cancer ever, born on July fourth. It's it's ridiculous. Um. So yeah, I I say all that to say that like I I feel fortunate that I at least have some some idea i i saw what my sisters went through obviously not in music but in their own pursuits and yeah i um i'm thinking about it and i i just i don't know a lot of women in rock on our side of the thing like the administrative management supportive side there's there's a handful there tends to be more female booking agents as you know i'm partnered with sound talent group and i know a lot of the female agents there I think uh, Beth might manage or book Rivals, right? Yeah, she does. Yeah, which is one yeah. of your bands. Rivals has a full, like basically a full female team, PR, management. Which is fucking awesome. Agent, all women. And female singer, right? Yep, female fronted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. That, I mean, that is something I'm seeing a hell of a lot more is female, not female fronted bands necessarily, that as well, but just females in bands. Female drummers, guitar players. It used to be like, you know, I'm 39, so I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, like high school era, junior high to high school. And one thing you'd always hear is, say, like the band Veruca Salt. People always refer to them as chick rock. That that and that was just a that that was a genre. That was a genre that even they themselves referred to them as. And like, yeah. And nowadays, I hear that less and less. There's a band called Jigsaw Youth that I want you to check out. They're fucking okay. awesome. They're fucking rippers. Three girls from, I believe, Long Island, somewhere out there. They sound like it. They talk like it. One of the girls does MMA. She's fucking terrifying. <laughs> and they're so cool. And like, kind of 90s punk grunge thing. Anyway, one of my producers, Alan Day, produced and mixed their their record, and that's how I got to know them. But you know, you in no world could you call them chick rock. These these fuckers are out there for blood, man, and they're just as badass as any turnstile or dude fronted, dude heavy type of band, and it's fucking awesome to see. Yeah, yeah, I think that like what what people forgot forget too that like punk was like punk was like championed by women in the 90s 100%. you know what I mean 70s oh, whenever it totally. was like you know like it was it was all about punk it always rock. has like been. I yeah it just, I mean and you think you see it now you with the Linda Lindas yeah. coming up like yeah. they're really young really young female yeah really young but like so so good I've also got goalie boys goalie boys are like two women two non-binary and uh Kathy who's a singer is just I mean, insane on the mic and on stage, you know, she's just like, she gives like Courtney Love 
yeah. like crazy vibes yeah. in, in a good way, in the best way possible. In a good way, so if right. she's listening to this, the, the best way possible. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cordy loves a weird one. Yeah, because um, I I know what you mean. You're like, I don't mean like that. <laughs> I mean I mean the good like '90s, <laughs> early '90s version. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's interesting to hear because I, I I'm not sure if you know. I don't think it's um it's helpful for people to to just think about it in a abstract way. Like, yeah, I, I'm sure it is tougher for a woman to be on this side of the fence, especially in rock, like you mentioned. And you can have sympathy for that, but it's hard to have empathy for someone if you've never done it. And that's just the truth. And that's the truth about anything, you know, gender identity or whatever it might be. I just don't know what that's like to go through it. I don't know what it's like to be that. So anyway, that's why I want to ask you that because I think it's it's helpful to hear people in your position talk about it. Yeah. And I think what's what's important too that I just want to note too is like it's not even necessary that we want to be treated differently. It's just like we literally just like want to be equal and we just like want some respect. You know what I mean? Like just as much as you would give any other colleague that walks in the room. Yeah. You know, we're in that room just the same as you for a very specific reason when, you know, we're there to like get the best for our artists. So don't take it personal or don't take, don't, you know, don't take offense. If like, you know, if we negotiate the hell out of something and you're pissed, yeah. oh, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, don't turn it around. I had to do it with you. I've experienced it. You don't fuck around. That's a good thing, Felicity. That that's what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say is like the more you wear that and the more you set your North star and your internal compass to your truth, not my truth, not anyone else's, not the industry's, it's not up. You don't need to wait for me for validation on anything or anyone else in this fucking industry. You know. So you know if you go into a room or a conversation and you're being assertive, not aggressive, but you you have authority in what you're talking about, not arrogant, then if someone thinks, oh, well, Felicity is just being a bitch, <laughs> then they're a fucking asshole and fuck them anyway. Like, doesn't it? We don't need them. Just fucking move past them. Yeah. And the more that you just yeah. do that with like, almost a like head up arrogance you're gonna be fine yeah thank you i appreciate that yeah yeah i mean i encourage robust dialogue that's what i call it you know just like oh yeah <laughs> we've got to have that it's your fucking job that's what we do it's what we do as managers yeah yeah we have to get the best thing for our clients i've, I've had to have those tough conversations with people where i've just been like look like i'm gonna break it down for you like if i don't do this or if I don't make this decision, I know you're not happy with it, but like my client literally, like they're literally not going to be happy with me. So like, yeah. Oh, you know, oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're just the face. Like <laughs> we're just that bridge between. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, once it like, it hit me like a fucking bag of concrete once I, I really started thinking what I do for a living and what we do in my estimation <laughs> is that we, we represent now that's just a term used like attorneys use that a lot. I represent this client, but the word represent means you're like standing in front of you are in lieu of that person. So if I'm talking to someone on behalf of my client, Ryan Lewis, it's because I am representing him so that he doesn't have to be here today. He's got shit to do. <laughs> He's mixing. He's producing. He lives in a studio 12 hours a fucking day. It's on me to talk to this person on his, for his best interest on his best behalf and it's it's like if you take that part seriously you're gonna you're gonna do better than half the managers out there yeah absolutely i mean dude like when i was in so we went to the grammys last year and it was held in vegas so the night before ryan's out partying with a bunch of people i kind of joined a little bit and then i duck out i'm like i'm old 
Got a long ass day tomorrow. It starts super early. I'm going home, but Ryan, go for it. Like, this is your time. You know, he's nominated. He's just having a good old time. And I ran into him the next morning. I'm like, how late were you out? He's out so much later than I could even process. The, the, the thing he said to me was like, fucking Christ, dude. The sun is up, buddy. <laughs> anyway, they, they had a grand old time. Partied hard. All good. But, you know, I'll be very vague so I don't say any names. But he, he told a story of a hotel room with some folks that were like artist managers, right? And managers of people that are fairly prominent and you know they're like really scuzzy really scuzzy guys talking shit about you know fucking strippers and prostitutes and like gross guy shit and they were doing gross drugs and being shitty and it really turned ryan off that's when he looked at his watch like bye i'm fucking out of here <laughs> and you know like he didn't say it to me point blank but I picked up on the energy of like, hey, man, if you ever did that, that wouldn't work for me. Like, you're out there looking like a fucking dumbass and you represent me, you know? And I, I'm not sure if people fully process that when they're they're going to these functions, these functions, they're networking with people in the industry. Like, remember that. Be yourself. This is a, this is a relaxed industry. We can drop F-bombs and be ourselves and have tattoos and drink and whatever the fuck you want to do. But... At the end of the day, you are representing someone's career and their their name. So take it seriously. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I have been to some places and some parties and just uh, have left in, in very in very similar situations. Totally. Just because I'm like, oh, this, is, this is not where I want to be. And I think about like where I want to be in my career and how I want to be like viewed. And I don't ever want someone to be like, that's the type of person that that person mm -hmm. is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We represent them. We've got to be on our toes about it. I'm like you though. I'm like, okay, it's time to go to bed. Like, <laughs> I'm ready to go to bed. I have this like trick. I will like go. I've been, I went to one thing where I went up to the bartender and I was like, I will tip you very well. If anytime someone orders a drink for me, it's non-alcoholic. Oh yeah. And they were like, that's okay, a great, great idea. And I'm like, and I drink, I do. I drink on the weekends, I drink with my family, I drink with my friends. Sure. But when I'm at a networking thing, I'll have like one, maybe two. And that's good it. for you. And I'll like Irish goodbye that like, bye. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> let, let them miss you. That's, that's my move. Just duck out and get those texts. Like, where'd you go? That's a lot better than overstaying your welcome anyway. <laughs> yeah. In your estimation, what makes a good manager? We've gone over some of it just in this past conversation, but other than that big broad, like, you know, take the representation part of this conversation seriously. What are some more uh, tactical things that people can actually take with them? Hmm. That's a really good question. Because there's a lot. And take take your time. I, I put you on on the spot, so it's, it's okay if you don't have specific <laughs> things. I mean, like maybe just reverse engineer how you do it. I think first and foremost is checking your ego at the door. Like we're in zero position to have any sort of ego and and also understanding the difference between like being being disrespected necessarily and like and your and like an ego or like being um disrespected isn't really actually the right word uh i guess not being listened because like we're paid for like we get paid for our advice that's why we're yeah. here that's why we're on the team right we're strategy we think we we're you know so there's a difference between like hey I think you should do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, nope, I want to do all these things. Right. And it's like, well, you should have done X, Y, and Z because this is how it turned out. There's a difference between like, you know, gently saying like, for lack of a better term, I told you so <laughs> yeah. versus having an ego. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so I think checking your ego at the door, it's not about you. It's about them. Like it's bringing to life whatever they want to do and guiding them. Like I heard someone say, I think it was Jamie Oborn, who's manages the 1975. He had said something along the lines of like, you know, we don't, we don't ever like, we don't color. We just kind of like help them stay inside the lines. Like, you know, that's kind of like what I kind of, I've kind of taken that to heart. So that would be like the first and foremost is just checking the ego at the door. That is a huge one. Yeah. I mean, something I always like to tell people too, this goes to fellow managers, booking agents, and also on the artist side. If you're in a band wanting to make it or you're an artist wanting to make it as well, I think remembering like if you want this to be your job, because I talk to bands every day, sometimes all day. <laughs> That's all I do is I talk to bands and then I talk to the producer I rep over and over and over or people like you. And the common thing I'm told from young bands is I want this to be my life. This is my dream. Like I want this to be my fucking job. You know, I don't want to be a bartender anymore. I want to tour in a band full time. I want to make records. I want to make money doing this. I love it. It's my passion. But then their actions just don't back that up in any way whatsoever. They get fucked up a lot. They show up late constantly everywhere they go. They're not as good as they think they are. Their songs aren't quite there. They they don't they don't want to pay people what they're worth. They're constantly trying to cut corners on every possible step along the way. You know, these bands spend all this time writing music and then they phone it in at the end. When they get to someone like me who's trying to set up a producer for them and make a record, they're like, can you cut that by like five times less than what you said? You know, it's like, I get you don't have a budget, but it's insane to me that you spend all this time working so hard on your music and your craft. And then you just, you drop it at the end. So yeah, I think that part is also really important. If you want this to be your job, then treat it like your job. And once you have the job, like you and I do, remember that every day you wake up, this is a job. I could be bartending somewhere. I could be, you know, directing parades at Disneyland again. <laughs> I, I could be, in my case, I was a structural inspector for years. I was a firefighter in EMT for a couple of years. I've done it all, man. I was a bartender too, fucking weighted tables. And I don't want to do that shit anymore. So I take it seriously, at least on some level every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... I think our job is, I think there's like a lot of people who don't quite understand, like at least in my life, it's like don't understand fully like what I do. Oh, totally. Me too. All the time. And I think that you'll, you're, you're always going to like have, have those people. But if you're in this, yeah, take it, take it seriously. And if like you're a younger manager and you're not quite sure how to deal with artists who are like on that track, like that you're talking about now and how to get them like back on track like th that's that's the best thing to do is just kind of like you know i've had to have these conversations with artists i work with you know who've had either like bad attitudes when they've been on set or like they've just you know for a music video or like if they just like not feel like they're in it you know and, and i had a really great conversation with one of them last year where i was like look like when you're in this when you're present fully 100 percent of the time like it, it works and when you're not in this it doesn't work right like you are like the head you were the CEO of your business, right? Like I'm, I'm, I am an, I am an employee of you. We work for you. So I can't care more than you care and I can't do more than you can do. So you've, you've got to be in this. And I think that really, you know, that really set in with, with this particular person and it's been great ever since, but yeah, I agree. agree. And kind of pivot. What is, what is your advice to two bands and artists out there? What is your advice to them generally, not as their manager? You know, not 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 free advice, just a general uh, in, in passing kind of kind of discussion. And then also, 
when is it a good time for band to reach out and, and try to get a manager when their TikTok is viral. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that seems to be the way these days. I think my advice to bands would be make sure you understand what you're trying to do before you try to sell it. I've worked with and talked to a lot of bands who are kind of like, well, we're, we kind of want to sound like this, or we want to sound like that, or we want to be this. And like, they, they really don't from song to song, it sounds different. There's no cohesion or they don't understand like, what they want to be, you know, get your, get your music like really tight and invest in yourself, like invest in your, like going back to what you said, like everything costs money. And I have a thing where if I've told people, my bands this all the time, like if you, we can't afford PR or we can't afford whatever because of the budget, we're just not going to do it. We're not going to go and find somebody to do it cheaper. We're just not going to do it. That is such good advice, by the way. That is really good advice. I don't hear that enough. Yeah. And I know, I know it's weird, but that's, it just... And by the way, and not to interrupt you, but I think there is a, a healthy balance of like still DIY. We're not we're not knocking DIY. Yeah. If, if you don't have a budget, you don't have, you can't afford a photographer or whatever, still go do it on some level. Still go like turn the wheels and do something. It's better than doing nothing. But to your point... If you're trying to put your best, if you're at that point as a band, that's the more important point I think you're trying to make. Like if you're at that point yeah. and you want to do a proper peer, proper PR push or a proper music video, photog- you know, a, a photo session, whatever, or, or in my case, make a record and, and have it produced right and mixed right. Don't phone that part in. Yeah, don't. Absolutely not. Because like, that's what, that's what everybody, and then, and then also I would say too, is like, don't forget marketing. Like people put so much into, we've got $4,000 and we want to spend like, you know, half of that on a music video. It's like, well, maybe you should not do that and shoot something on your phone and then put the rest of that into advertising spend. Because like, it doesn't really matter if you have the greatest video in the world or the best song in the world, if nobody can hear it and you're not, you're not pushing it, you know? So marketing is, is to me like so pivotal. And it's like the last thing that bands who don't have representation think about. What are some of the ways that you, you find helpful to market bands? Like specific, is it print, traditional print media? Is it social media ads? What, what seems to be the best? Yeah, I I would say social media ads, although like it kind of depends on the climate (laughs) and how much like it actually costs to like, run an ad and how much the CPC is or whatever. Um, but yeah, I would say like running social media ads on like every platform possible, or at least at the very least, the platform that you're the most, that you have the biggest audience. Like if you don't have an audience on TikTok, don't run an ad on TikTok. If you don't have an audience on, you know, cause if on Instagram, then don't run it on Instagram. I would say those, you know, do it like $5 a day, $10 a day. I generally will tell people like, don't spend money on Spotify ads because unless your listenership is in a part of the like the, the United States where, or like your, your a lookalike audience is in the part of the US where they don't, they, they don't pay for Spotify. You're not going to get the ads. If everybody pays for Spotify, they're not going to, they'll, they don't, you don't see the ads. Oh my God. I've never thought of that. That is such an obvious point. That's such an, like, like by the way, that, that, so that is what being an artist manager is. You just defined it in that one sentence, <laughs> just like really helpful. <laughs> Duh, kind of stuff that maybe a lot of people just don't think about and or they shouldn't have to think about like they're busy being in a band they're busy being a creative yeah so having a sort of sober mind like you just pointing out obvious shit like that is pretty <laughs> fucking valuable yeah 
because they don't really i mean at least in my experience it hasn't worked very well that's interesting um, but that's because like the large part like rivals with our large part of their audience is in an area of the united states that like typically uh like one out of however many people like pay for don't pay like they don't pay for spotify so or they pay for spotify so that means that they're not getting ads mm. so it's like what's the point what's the let's point? go somewhere else right. find another platform that your audience can be at um and then posting and being present making sure like if you're a young band like just be present everywhere that you possibly can well rival seems to be like on the the you know they're a very buzzy band i hear about them all the time now you know, I know it's kind of like a, a perfect storm of a lot of things, but what are some of the things that they've done right and that in, in your estimation have been why they're taken off? They're consistent. They know their business. What are they consistent with? They know exactly what everything costs. They know exactly what they need to do. They all they all work to make sure they put, you know, they can put money into the band. So they all have side jobs. They still have side jobs today? Today, yeah. You know, hopefully that won't be the case <laughs> for very much longer, but they still do because the economy is not that great. No, it's not. But they're they're still very much like when I started working with them, they're still very much like I told them, I was like, you guys are a, a quarter of the way there. They felt like they were halfway there. I was like, you guys are a quarter of the way there. Let's bring it back into the perspective where, you know, you're going to have these gaps and we have to be more intentional. I talked to Beth Keith about this all the time where, you know, we're talking about like, you know, how do we, everything that we do is going to be a bit calculated over the next couple of years to get them to the level that we want to get them to. And sometimes that means waiting it out. Sometimes that means not going on a certain tour. Sometimes that means, you know, waiting to drop a certain amount of music, waiting to sign to a label, whatever it is, like we're, we have to be very, very strategic. Um, but what they've done on TikTok has been insane. Like Kaylee just posts consistently all the time always and is constantly engaging with fans felicity what is she usually posting like what type of content is consistent for a band like rivals so she'll take live like videos of of them like on stage or wherever like at a concert she'll put the original audio that's in the app over the audio that's on the video and the algorithm just like loves that S say that again so take a video like concert footage and then put that in and then line it up, line that part of the concert footage of the song, whatever vocals, whatever lyrics she's singing up with the original audio that's in the TikTok app. So you have to be a good band live for that to metronomically, you know, to actually line up. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of bands play a lot faster than their recordings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me just like back up. You actually have to be good live. Oh, um, that whole thing. <laughs> right, right. Or at least fucking entertaining. If you're not going to be really great live, Somehow Nirvana became the biggest band on the planet. Kurt Cobain could barely play guitar. I am a better guitar player than Kurt Cobain. <laughs> he just wrote songs in a way that fucking mattered and played them live in a cool way. See how important marketing is, though? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> and by the way, you said something about Rivals and, and how she, being the lead singer, posts consistently. You said she does it. Not a management team, not you, not some fucking social media dork. She's doing it because it's her band. And even at a level where she has man management, booking agent, the whole team, it's still always going to be better when you do it yourself. And that's, you know, I, I've run into this with even some of the producers I work with where they, they're like, great, you're my manager, do it all now. And it's like, well, I'll do whatever you don't have time to do and you don't want to do, but generally speaking they want to hear from you you're the guy you're the you're the talent you're you're the the person with the 
the skill set that I don't have and, and nor do they. So they want to hear from you. I can help you. I can foster that and support you. But for, for rivals to be putting out content that they did themselves, th- the audience knows that. They can feel it. They can sense it. So I think that's, um, that's an interesting point that I think a lot of people overlook. Yeah, I, I kind of always, I, I kind of always tell people this, you know, like I'm never going to force any artist to do social media because there's just, it will feel inauthentic. Uh, and you can see that oh, yeah. by the different people that I represent. You know, I've got like Rivals has 200K, Little Monarch has like, I think like 50 or 60K. But then you've got like Mags, who's like absolutely killing it on live, doing all this stuff, super, super active. Um, you know, getting his new album being produced by your producer. And he's got like, you know, a very small TikTok presence because he's just not the content no, guy. It's not his and thing. I'm okay with right. that. That's fine. And we've, we've, we've talked about it and everything. And, and we've, we've talked about, you know, different plans. And it's not to say that like, as a manager, you don't sit down and talk with them about content. You don't like try to come up with ideas. Like I will, I'll see a video. I'll be scrolling on TikTok or somewhere I'll see a video. I'll be like, Hey, you guys should like recreate this content. And I'll send it over to them or something, you know, but I don't do that every day and it shouldn't be expected because we're not social media managers. If you're at the point where, you know, you have enough money to pay a social media manager, then by all means, let's bring them on the team. But you should be doing your own content 100%. Yeah. And, and at least on some level, if the social media manager wants to talk, take over, then that's okay. But the original content needs to flow through the artist first. On some level. Yeah. And like someone like Elliot, 100%. someone like Elliot with Mags, Mags is uh, like a once in a generation talent. I mean, it's so overwhelmingly talented in a broad way. I think Elliot has a real good chance of being like mainstream successful. He's got a very strong sense of musicianship. He can play damn near every instrument. I believe he's playing everything on the fucking record. Am I right? He's always done that. So he'll be doing that this time. So, I mean, that's, that's the story. It's the savant story. I don't I don't even mean that as like a he's more than that. But I think that's gonna be an interesting way to sell Mags is like this talent. It's about talent and like a, an old school way of doing things where rivals talent is t- certainly part of it, but rivals is a little more like cool and hip and young and TikTok and then that makes sense for them. But anyway, I think that's uh that's one of the hardest parts of an artist is finding your vision, finding the story. And then an even harder part is the manager to support that and to foster that and to encourage it. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's different and you've got to approach every single artist differently. There's no cookie cutter way of saying, here's, here's the steps. Here's what you take. Here's what you do. And this is how you get to be, you know, so here's how you get to play Madison Square Garden. That's doesn't Doesn't exist. exist. There is no rule book. There's no laws. So nothing. It's literally just one foot in front of the other every single day, waking up and being like, all right, I'm going to give it my all today. And I'm going to try to get, I'm trying to move this, you know, needle a little bit, a little bit today towards the goal. So, well, we talked earlier about some non-music things, Disneyland being this case, in this case, what are some things that you're interested in that don't have to do with work? (laughs) Oh man, I'm going to sound really nerdy. Um, (laughs) I, I'm like an avid amateur astronomer oh and I wow say amateur, like with an emphasis because i don't know very much but i love looking out of my telescope and like going stargazing oh how cool and you live in a decent area for that if you drive probably 20 30 minutes in any direction in riverside you're out in the middle of fucking nowhere yeah yeah it's great i can do it in like i mean some nights in my backyard like you can see like really really well and the moon is like super bright so i i really like astronomy <laughs> 
That's awesome. I'm really into like traveling, which I haven't been able to do. Um, but my husband and I like to go to like different festivals in different countries. Like one thing that we love doing, uh, which isn't like a weekend type thing. But yeah, I was like really nerdy. <laughs> oh, no, that's amazing. Hey, again, you're talking to the Disney dork over here. You can't out nerd me, I promise you. By the way, being a nerd <laughs> is good. One of my least favorite types of being, or I guess my least favorite word is is apathy apathy or cynicism i fucking hate it it's it's something that you and i probably see a lot in our in our thing you know you get a lot of cynical hipster rock people that just shit on everything and it's really boring it's obnoxious and at some point grow the fuck up like let people just be (laughs) like if your husband's a big star wars nerd who fucking cares? It doesn't take anything away from you. Let let them be a Star Wars nerd. It's better for the world yeah. if if you're a fan of things and you support it. Really, art. That's what that's all Star Wars is. It's art. Yeah. And ast- astronomy is an art. That is that's a a method and a scientific uh, method that you know people our ancestors years and years ago came up with. And I think you're honoring them by caring about it. So that's a it's a good yeah. thing. I I like fandom. I think fandom is. One of the best things that humans do is like be really yeah. into things. That's a good thing. By the way, you and I wouldn't have a fucking job if people weren't fans. Like, oh my gosh, you know, like right? we want we want the bands and the producers that we work with. We want them to have fans. That's the whole fucking point. Yeah, I like. I actually like secretly like I'll get I'll get when I started getting. I think I think I realized okay like like with mags especially I was like okay like this is actually this is like really gonna go somewhere. Not that I didn't think that before, but I started getting DMs from his fans would be like when the album for last year where they would say like, don't be a coward, drop it, mm. drop or leak the album. And they would like start DMing me and asking me why, you know, do this, do this. Um, Rivals has done it on their live where they've like said, Oh, our manager's in here. And then I'll get DMS from people. Like, ah. When are they releasing <laughs> this? And when are they doing this? And like, I'm like, I love those fans totally. because those they're just, they're rabid. And I'm like, yes, hell like, yeah. I'm here for this. Hell like, yeah. Bring more of your friends, totally. turn everybody. <laughs> That's the whole point. And that's, again, that's why we're here. Well, that's awesome. One last question I like to ask people kind of typically as we close out the show is what's your vibe on the music industry? Like the state of the union, you know, are you hopeful? Do you have a lot of concerns? Yeah. What, what do you think? Like, where are we heading? I think I am hopeful. I think that COVID actually brought a lot. I think it knocks down a lot of doors for people. Like everybody jumped. There was like that time period where you could, I mean, everyone was accessible. On, on clubhouse for a certain amount of time like that small little window i made so many connections and i think that everybody had had was forced to stay home for a minute and so then it's like it's like revitalized lot like the live shows i think to a degree it's revitalized everybody's love for music and i think for a little while it might be a little competitive and it's going to be really hard to get for like bands to get tours and it's going to be hard because like everybody is trying to move at the same exact time but I think that that's, I also, I, I kind of think that's a good thing because at some point it's going to balance out. And if you've been working at it and you've been in that mix, like you're going to take off, you know, it's just like kind of like waiting for your turn. I think that the future of music is, it has to change. Like we're, we're, we're forced, we're forced to change every day. Like before it was, you know, people would sign artists based off of, you know, really good numbers on, on live or whatever it was. But now people are, you know, labels are signing artists based off of TikTok. So it's like every day. Every couple of months or every year, we have to figure out a new way of, of existing in the world. And I think as long as 
as long as you're flexible and you 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 take every little change with a grain of salt and, and adjust how you should how you need to, then you'll be fine. I think the state of the I, I'm very hopeful for for the music industry. I think that I think we're in a good place. Um, I think it was scary for a while, but I don't think it is anymore. That's how I feel. Uh, I have yet to have a guest on here, and I ask him that question, and they they are pessimistic. They're really concerned. They think we're heading in the wrong direction. It just hasn't happened. This is the hundred and sixth <laughs> episode. Oh, and congratulations! Thank you. I mean. To be fair, I it was a different thing a few years back. I took a break. It's it's been a weird show that has gone up and down and changed. I had co-host and different type of show, different you know content that for a while. Um, but nonetheless, I've done a lot of these. I've had a lot of people on. Not to mention all the people you and I talk to out throughout the day. I'm sure you have the same vibe. Yeah, you're going to catch like someone that's in a stressed moment or they're concerned about a specific thing. But generally, that's the vibe I get from a lot of people, myself included. So I'm, I'm very hopeful. I think now is one of the best times to work in music. It's one of the best times to start your thing. It doesn't even have to be a band. If it's that restaurant you always wanted to open, do it. Do it now. It's a, it's a good time. And I think post-COVID world is an exciting place, oddly enough. You know, it's like... <laughs> I yeah. I liken to it like when a, a forest fire rips through, you know, thousands of acres and it's horrible when it happens. It's really destructive. But then little baby flowers start growing and the, the soils fertilized and, and rich and new things happen. And I think we're seeing that. We're seeing a lot of exciting bands that are coming out of suburban basements all around the world right now. And it's really fucking cool, man. <laughs> yeah. It's really exciting. And, and not to mention, like, mainstream music is is popping off, too. One of my producers, Ryan, was nominated again for his work with Doja Cat. Congratulations. Thank you. It's it's really earned back to the fandom thing. You know, Doja Cat has some of the most avid fans alive. They fucking love her. And they they love the thing that she did. It's not... The music's rad. It's fun. It's cool. But they love that she's, like, a dork and weird and quirky and authentic and... She's like beautiful pop star in a classic way, but she's also funny and dorky. And I think people gravitate towards that. And that gives me hope. That gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. I, yeah. Doja Cat's great, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> Doja Cat's great. Like, uh, Amala is one of the, the coolest, like, hyper creative people ever. She's like a, she like, she kind of like, like a warp tour kid. She, you know, she grew up in Southern California and she, she's not, She's not like diva Madonna level. Not that there's anything wrong with Madonna, but you know what I mean? It's it's just a different <laughs> time and people really dig what she's doing. And it's because of the modern time that we live in, I think, is what makes that possible. The internet and TikTok and <laughs> Instagram. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Well, cool. This has been super fun. I appreciate you being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. Hell yeah. Well, let's catch up soon. We, we always have more business to do together. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Which excites me. Again, you know, like I work with a ton of producers. You work with a ton of bands. My guess is we'll talk again past this project we're, we're doing together. And Yeah, 100%. I actually mentioned you today to another one of my artists. I was like, you know, let me maybe hit up Stateside and see if they've got anybody for this. <laughs> I love that. That's why I'm here, baby. <laughs> again, I thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 